I'm rolling. On that great note, uh, Elliot, put your phone on silent. Done. Thanks, buddy. So <laughs> on that note, um, because I was telling Jeff, not many shows get to 200. It's very, very tough to get 200. If you get 200, that means you're doing something right. So we get the day off. 100%. You get a day off next week. Oh, very good. So I decided to reach out to some folks and uh, just ask them a little bit about you guys and and re- reaching, oh, reaching this milestone. Oh, oh no! I've got quite a few of them, but I'm going to try to play as many as I can today throughout the show. Throughout the show, and this this will, is the start of the podcast. This is the start of the podcast. Oh god! Here we go. Enjoy. Hello, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. This is Sid Sixero from Breakfast <laughs> Television. 200 episodes, 31 thoughts. Amazing! Congratulations to the both of you and Amal as well. You know, this has become one of the best podcasts in the country, regardless of genre. This is a standard podcast. And it was a journey because when you guys started, you were, this was not good. This is, it took a while to get here, but now you're here. So that's the good news. And uh, congratulations to both. Jeff, you're one of the most knowledgeable guys in the business. Have him fooled. Uh, it's, uh, It's an honor to call you a friend. You also haven't aged at all. Like you have not aged. You're Benjamin Button, like you're going in reverse. I, I don't care what your hairline is doing or what you say it's doing. It's it's great. Congratulations, you don't age, but you should really get that checked by a medical professional because I don't think it's healthy. So that aside, just continue to be you. Elliot, one of the best in the business. Uh, you've been a mentor to me. I don't even think you know this. You've been a mentor for a long time and uh, nothing but respect and love for you. Uh, there have been moments, though, in the last few months where from the neck up, I don't have a <laughs> clue what you're doing. Like the other night, I swear to God, the other night was a Wednesday night. I said to myself, is that Elliot on the desk or Eddie Money? Take me home tonight, Sid. You know, obviously he's not Eddie Money. He's dead. Like I know that. But it, it, you looked like Eddie Money, like an 80s, 70s rock star. Anyway. So professionally, you are the standard. Continue to do what you do. From the neck up, it looked like you looked in a mirror months ago and said, I'm not even going to try anymore. So just want to get that off my chest as well. And uh, I'm going to continue to do you. You're amazing. I'm not ripping you. I like you. All the best. 200 pods, 31 thoughts. You guys already have a legacy. Can't wait to hear 32 thoughts when the Kraken show up. And uh, God bless. Take care, guys. Hey, guys. John Cooper with the Lightning here. Ah. I'll be honest. I thought I had a better chance of seeing Jeff Merrick get to 200 pounds and you guys get to 200 episodes. It's informative, uh, informational, and it's got intellect. You guys do a heck of a job. Uh, pretty impressive for a couple lawyers uh, turned hockey coaches. Oh, wait, that's that's me. Uh, anyway, guys, all the best. Well-deserved, and here's to 200 more. Hey, guys, it's Carolyn Cameron. Congratulations on a great run. 200 episodes. Like, who would have thought you would have made it here? It's a great time to wrap. What? Oh, they're not. It's not done. Oh, I thought I thought that was it. It's run it did run its course. Oh. Okay. You can edit yeah, you can edit this out. Okay, I'll try again. Hey guys, it's Carolyn Cameron. I just wanted to congratulate you on two hundred episodes. I never doubted you. I knew you'd get this far. So many more to come. I, I was so happy to be a guest a couple times, which isn't much when it's two hundred episodes. But anyway, congrats. It's great. 
So I guess this is going to be the theme. That, and by the way, two tickets to paradise, you and me, Elliot Friedman. Nice Eddie Money reference there from Sid Sixero. We didn't know that uh, our producer, Amal Delich, was going to lead off with that. I didn't know, Elliot, to be honest with you, not to make this podcast too self-indulgent. Oh, look, there's my navel. I didn't even know that this was 200 uh, our 200th episode until Amal told me this morning. I didn't know till this week. He said he said this week it was our 200th. And I'm not really big on awards or accolades. I think covering sports, what it's taught me is that you're only as good as your last game or you're only as good as your last show. But I appreciate the the people who did this. We've already heard from Sid and John Cooper and Carolyn. And thanks to everybody else who we'll hear from later on in the show. But it's weird for me. The moment I think, I got to tell you, I'm one of those people in life, Jeff, that the moment that I start to get too impressed with myself, I make a terrible mistake. Mm -hmm. So I'm refusing to let my guard down. I'm just not allowing it. You know what? The thing is, like the getting to 200 episodes, like that shouldn't be considered an achievement for you and me because you and I just talk all day long anyhow. There just happens to be a a microphone in front of us for this time that we're actually doing a podcast. Really, the 200 is a testament to Amal, who is still here yes. after 200. Like, think about that for a second, Ellie. You and I would be here anyway, or on radio, or doing a podcast, or on television, or whatever. We would still be around doing like, Amal has chosen to still be part of this. Like, I don't know if you understand this, any everyone listening right now. We torture Amal with edits. He spends so much time with this podcast. Every time it's quote unquote put to bed, it's never really put to bed. Like this is a stone that we ask Amel to polish and polish and polish and polish. And it's almost like it's an I quit match every time we do one where Amel just has to, I just imagine Amel like when he's done with the podcast, finally saying like at the end of every single one, okay, that's it. I'm done with this podcast. It's finished. It's over. And that's after hours and hours of polishing. So. And then he gets the text from us. When's it coming out? Like, where is it When's it coming out? That's the best word. Where is it already? On our group chat in the morning. Hey, when's it coming out? When's it coming out? I don't want to hear how you went about making the sausage. (laughs) Just give me the sausage. All right. Enough self-indulgence. Let's go. The guy's got like Louis Vuittons under his eyes. His like eyes are propped up with like toothpicks like clockwork orange at the end of every recording session and our texts are always like when's the podcast coming out bro hey bro what's up with the podcast okay okay let's go enough with the self-indulgence people want to hear hockey it's a good point roman yosik of the national predators coming up on today's podcast amel thank you and uh thanks to everyone that uh contributed to this podcast i don't know what's coming but here it is 31 thoughts the podcast presented by the gmc sierra at4 here we go What's going on, guys? Paul Bissonette here, and I am popping by to pump two of the best in the industry's tires. That's right, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, 200 episodes of 31 Thoughts. And I just found out recently why it's called 31 Thoughts, and uh, that was a tough one to ask that on a public forum. Uh, Thanks for letting me know, though, Jeff. Uh, 31 NHL teams, 31 Thoughts. Uh, Folks, that's like 1,000 games in the NHL, 200 episodes on a pod. So... If Sportsnet is not engraving the Rolexes as we speak, <laughs> I think we riot. Um, 
But on a serious note, Jeff, Elliot, thank you guys for all the advice you've ever given me. Uh, you guys have always been there when I've had some uh, questions to ask and also for just all the hockey knowledge that you bring us because we all know that I ain't reading the CBA. <laughs> if it wasn't for these two guys, I don't think I'd know one thing about the NHL. So we love you guys. Keep kicking ass. And uh, that's pretty much it. 200th episode of 31 Thoughts, the podcast. What an incredible run. Full disclosure, when I heard about the launching of this podcast, I put the over-under at episodes before cancellation at 11. (laughs) And I did take the under, but hear me out. Listen, I thought it made sense. I I just assumed the hockey world was maybe OD'd on Elliot. You know, TV, radio, blogs, Twitter, blah, 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 blah. I just assumed maybe they had said enough is enough. But, uh, you know, listen, it's a head-scratcher. It's mind-numbing, actually, quite inexplicable in in many respects but he has become this ubiquitous force in uh, sports media apparently Uh, so here we are 200 episodes in and it really gives us a good time to reflect on why there's been such great success for this podcast in what is an incredibly competitive media landscape Uh, and I thought about it and I came up with a few reasons why I mean it makes sense of course you have this world-class producer smart creative a visionary Then you have a fantastic host and Jeff Merrick, of course, sophisticated hockey mind, inquisitive, knowledgeable, engaging, and funny. And you have Elliot. So there you are. Uh, Listen, congratulations. 200 episodes in. I'm sure at least 200 more. I'm putting it at the over this time. Congratulations, guys. I'm happy for all of you. And keep rolling. 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Jeff. Elliot, your good friend CM Punk here, and I've been commissioned to congratulate you on 200 episodes of 31 Thoughts. So before I do that, I want to let you know that I went back and I listened to all 200 episodes, and I got to say, 199 okay episodes, and one that really stuck out that was head and shoulders above the rest exceeded all expectations is possibly the best podcast i ever listened to coincidentally it was the episode that i helped host uh so here's to 200 more gentlemen 199 okay shows and one super good one good luck gentlemen i think you can achieve greatness i'm just a phone call away congratulations All right. Thank you to three more. Much appreciated, gentlemen. Let's talk about a real achievement, Elliot, to kick off the podcast today. And that is 18 years playing net in the NHL. Ryan Miller calls it a career or has announced that at the end of this season, he will be calling it a career. Kind of thought this year would probably be my last year and wanted to take the time to appreciate Uh, everything about the game and you know it's been a good year Uh, able to kind of soak it in and I thought just you know I could have waited to uh, retire but just felt like this would be a good way to say goodbye Uh, with some time to appreciate it and tell the guys so that uh, I could kind of enjoy the moment once you're uh, kind of off and into the summer and doing something else, it's I didn't I didn't know that it would be as easy to say goodbye in a way. Uh, this this is going to help a lot towards uh, talking to all the people I like to talk to and and really being able to 
give uh, this part of my relationship with hockey uh, kind of a send off. When I say that name, what do you think of? Boy, there's a lot. There's a lot that's obvious and there's a lot that isn't. I think about the 2010 Olympics and what a big star he became in the United States Mm -hmm. after that. I think about a guy who was really blunt and really honest. If you asked him a question, uh, you better be prepared for the answer. You know, obviously he was in Buffalo a lot when I dealt with him. You know, when he went out west to places like Vancouver and Anaheim, I didn't see him as much, which was probably good for him. But I dealt with him a lot when he played for the Sabres and he was in the East and he was fantastic to deal with. And there were so many good stories after the 2010 Olympics where he played so well. The Sabres saying that uh, Elton John came to Buffalo for a concert and he asked about Ryan Miller. Hmm. I remember him telling a story about signing an autograph on a woman's body part, her leg, and you know someone telling him that the person had turned it into a tattoo. Like he was that big a star in Buffalo. Yeah, I remember. During the 2013 work stoppage, Miller was part of the players' negotiation team, and he got into it once with Jeremy Jacobs, the owner of the Boston Bruins, who was the chairman of the Board of Governors. And I heard they had quite an exchange at one point, and I emailed him about it. I said, can I talk to you about this? And he, I got to see if I, I don't have that email anymore because it was on an old account, so I lost it. But, you know, he basically said to him, it wasn't a big deal. It was just two guys passionately arguing their points of view. Hang on, pause on that for one second, because for listeners who may not understand the gravity of going at someone like Jeremy Jacobs, Jeremy Jacobs was one of the owners that Gary Bettman did not bring into the NHL. He preceded Gary Bettman. And there's always been a pocket of power around uh, Jeremy Jacobs and the Boston Bruins. So going at someone like Jeremy Jacobs, this isn't like going at an owner who's been around for five or six years or even someone that you know Gary has brought in in the last 10 or 15. This is Jeremy Jacobs who has as much stroke as anybody ever has in any of these meetings. The credit Miller deserves is that he did not go after the weak person cowering in the corner. He picked the biggest guy in the room. Like those were some pretty animated conversations. I mm-hmm. I remember one owner telling me that he could not believe the way that Ron Hainsey was talking to them. Yeah. And but that was another one. It was definitely, you know, the exchange between Miller and Jacobs really opened some eyes. And I had to say, I told Miller this later. There would be a lot of people I would meet in life who would love to play up the fact that they gave it to Jeremy Jacobs or got into an argument with Jeremy Jacobs because it mm-hmm. it basically gives you some tough person bona fides. And he was like, what's the big deal? Like, it's just two people giving their honest opinions. Like, I kind of was impressed about that. Uh, there was another time in Buffalo, they told me that there was a big advertiser who wanted to meet Ryan Miller. So they set it up after a practice and Miller forgot and he left. And they called him and they were worried they were going to have to beg him to come back. 
And, you know, they said, Ryan, we brought this, this advertisers here. And he said, without even being prompted, he said, oh my God, I totally forgot. And he turned around and he came back. Like they didn't have to, to beg him to do it. Mm-hmm. I think you just knew that if you ever talked to him. Now, I think sometimes, you know, he drove the league a bit crazy, you know, because there's always, there's been this battle with goaltender equipment, right? And he would fight back. <laughs> okay. But I love dealing with them. Whenever, okay. <laughs> Whenever I read a story or was part of a conversation about uh, goalie equipment and someone would reference one goalie specifically who voted against it or spoke out strongly against it. And I always would say, well, who was it? And they'd say, well, I can't tell you. I always assumed, and I'm going to keep assuming until someone tells me otherwise, that the person that they were constantly referencing was Ryan Miller. <laughs> in all, and honestly, in all of those conversations. Because you're right, like he was passionate about about goalie equipment as everybody tried to strip down goaltenders and chop this down and that's too big. You know, here's a guy who, you know, was is slight himself and is seriously concerned about the protection yeah. to the point where, you know, people say, well, oh, okay, uh, you, I, you actually have a piece of equipment called the cheater. And Ryan Miller would fire back and say, well, you know, the minute you guys stop slashing around the crease, uh, you know, uh, then I'll, we'll, we'll get rid of the cheaters. Until then, I'm trying to protect my wrist. It's not there to, to stop shots. Like he always had something for everyone that tried to shrink goaltending equipment. And it usually always revolved around, we need this for protection. Yes, he was big on that. And we should say, like, he was a a great goalie. Oh, yeah. Like, just a great goalie. So we should credit him for that, too. But, you know, there's a lot there, right? Like, there's the, the guy had a very interesting legacy. And I'm not surprised that he says he wants to go into, you know, front office work, maybe be a manager someday. You know, last few years, he's been really tight to California. Of course, his wife is a very successful career that's tied into that part of the country. So I would be curious to see if he even thinks about moving, whether it's going back to Buffalo or going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if he'll be anchored there, but you know, I, I, he's definitely a guy I could see somewhere in the game. No question about it. Absolutely. Uh, congratulations on a wonderful career. For me, I, I still maintain that that Buffalo Sabres team, you know, the Briere and Drury and Campbell and Palmer, like that whole that whole squad, Ryan Miller and Ned, of course, was maybe in this era, although you're going to have to throw a couple of those Ottawa Senators teams in there as well, uh, and San Jose Sharks, the best team to not win a Stanley Cup. That was a great team. Oh, and so much fun. And they were good to cover too. Really good to cover. Great personalities. Every single level, like Darcy Regeer was great to deal with. Lindy Ruff was great to deal with. Like at every single level, that Sabres team was just uh, was just a lot of fun. Congratulations uh, on a wonderful career to Ryan Miller. The American Hockey League. Uh, this has been an interesting day for the American Hockey League. Earlier today, as we record this on Thursday early evening, um, the American Hockey League had put out a note indicating that uh, the Calder Cup uh, will not be awarded for the second year in a row, that all the divisions are free to choose the method by which they declare a division champion. Uh, the Atlantic, the North, the Canadian, and the Central all decided that whoever comes out on top, first place in the division, is a division champion. Uh, no tournament, no playoffs. Mm-hmm. But the Pacific decided that they would. 
Now, the Professional Hockey Players Association, that is the uh, the American Hockey League Union, the union representing American Hockey League players, put out a release just before 6 o'clock Eastern um, saying how they were disappointed in the decision uh, in the Pacific specifically and that this was not something that was agreed to. Um, they had concerns about this uh, that were communicated to the AHL and essentially they were upset at what the Pacific was planning to do, namely hold a playoff tournament. Where are we at here between the AHL and the PHPA? Now, there's one thing that you said there, that this was something that the Pacific Division decided to do, right? Mm -hmm. The release itself, and I'm quoting from the release, which is on the PHPA Twitter page, from Larry Landon, who's the executive director of the PHPA, says, I am disappointed in the AHL's Pacific Division's decision as it disregards the wishes of the vast majority of the players within the Pacific Division. I had heard that there had been votes and the players indicated they didn't want to play. Here's where I think the problem is here. From what I understand, when the players and the AHL made their deal for this year, the playoffs were included. Mm. Basically, the way it works, the basically the way it works is the players this year were getting 48% of their salaries or a minimum of 30000 And we know what the Toronto Maple Leafs did last week. Yes. They decided to pool some money towards the players because living in Toronto was very expensive. Now, I heard the noise you make there, so you're probably going to tell me this is in dispute. All I know is that a couple of weeks ago, when I started to hear that the playoffs likely wouldn't happen, and I think there were some teams, especially the ones who couldn't get fans, were willing to say, okay, we don't need to do this. I heard there were some teams who said, wait, this was agreed to. Okay, so before the podcast, I spoke with one prominent player. Mm-hmm one prominent American Hockey League player in the PHPA. Mm-hmm. And I asked about that issue specifically. And he said when they first put together the memorandum of understanding mm-hmm. that the agreement was that the playoffs would be discussed at a later point and it would be a group decision. What does that mean? That we're gonna we're gonna essentially we're gonna kick the can down the road. We're gonna figure out playoffs as we get through the season. That's how I interpreted what this player was saying to me. Mm-hmm. And votes had been taken to your point, and it was the, the figure that this one player gave to me was it was an overwhelming majority. So what is an overwhelming majority? Said so something like ninety percent. I heard the vast majority of players didn't want to play playoffs. So that that jives with what I heard. Correct. Now he said it was somewhere in the uh, uh, in the uh, in the neighborhood of ninety percent. And some of their issues are: it's very expensive, as you know, to live in California. Leases now need to be extended, etc. Essentially, the players don't want to do this. And with the announcement of an October start, that means September camps, which means yep. the players want to be back in time for summer training to be prepared for next season properly. That is what's coming out of the player's side of all of this. And I generally do lean pro player. I All I can tell you is what I heard. 
And I'm just doing the same. Like there were some teams that told me that we don't really feel the need to have playoffs, but we paid for them. That is the part that's in dispute. Yes. I mean, there's got to be something down on a piece of paper. There has to be, because I have I have a hard time believing, but maybe I shouldn't, that the conversation was simply, okay, let's all agree to discuss this at a later point and not put something down on paper and not have that discussion documented somewhere. But again, I don't know if it is or not. Yeah. So, so here's my other question. If the players voted no, how can the team say yes? Great question. Right? Because what that does is that lessens their, their rate of pay if all of a sudden they're expected to play into the playoffs here based on their compensation. Well, that would seem to indicate that the teams do have reason to believe that. I don't know where this one ends up. I think one of the things that seems to be the case here is that there's a whole bunch of teams that basically said, we're okay with it, and some of the Western teams didn't. That the, uh, the Pacific Division is acting on their own. And the players are saying, hold on a second here. First of all, we don't want to do this. Second, we were told this is going to be a discussion point, and we haven't had that. And this is going to be a group decision. I'm sure there will be more clarity over the next little while. Mm-hmm. But what, I, what I'm hearing here between you and me, Jeff, and this news just broke as we're taping the podcast, is that the players don't want to do it. Like reading that PHPA statement, it says to me that we don't like this, but we have to play. Mm, I don't know about that. Like, does it read differently to you? I just read it again, and I don't know if this is a hard no from those players or this is a, if we're going to do this, we're being dragged kicking and screaming into doing it. I read it as B. We're being dragged kicking and screaming into it. Now, if you look at Bakersfield's schedule, mm-hmm. and they're a playoff team, May 3rd, May 5th, May 7th, May 8th, May 13th, May 15th, May 16th, and then they're done. It says to me that there is still time to figure this out. Like, this doesn't mean this is the last we've heard on this, right? Oh, I don't think it is. Like, right now, like this wound just got opened. So I don't think we're close. Like there needs to be a discussion between Scott House and Larry Landon here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say either way because this is completely new territory. Well, I think that we're in the middle of a, it's a moving target. But the story is not done. Like to me, this is a moving target. Now we're posturing, right? But I read that statement as we don't want to play, but we can't say no. See, I kind of read that statement as we want to open up the discussion based on our earlier conversation. We want clarity based on the idea that we were under the impression that we were going to make a group decision on this and the players are going to be involved in it. And overwhelmingly, the players have said no. I believe that's true. And what it says to me is that the teams believe the deal said playoffs included. And some teams are holding to that. You know what both these statements say, Elliot? That this story is long from over. It's not over. It's not done yet. All right, Jeff, before we get to our first guest, like one last thing I wanted to mention. I think Toronto is making some kind of changes in terms of 
hiring and structure of maybe their player development. I will say that I don't have a full picture of this because the Maple Leafs aren't commenting about it. But Scott Pellerin, who was their director of player development, is no longer uh, with the organization. I think that happened this week. And from what I can tell, this really wasn't a performance issue as much as it is. I think Kyle Dubas is looking at making some hires here. And the financial realities of the situation mean that instead of just adding, 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 you have to cut a little bit too. So I don't think this is a performance-related issue at all, from what I can tell. And I believe it's a situation where Toronto just said, look, if you can go out and find something else, get started on that search. That's the information I'm being given. It's not a job-related cut or a performance-related cut. It's more of, I think Toronto's trying to do some things, move, and they had to balance the budget. So their director of player development, Scott Pellerin, is a free agent from what I understand. Okay, before we get to more hockey talk here, three hours, 39 minutes, and 45 seconds is a special time for our man, Chris Johnston. You've been running every day for a year, CJ. Today, as we recorded this Thursday, was your marathon day. That First of all, congratulations. And that's an incredible time, CJ. That like, did you even surprise yourself? That is a remarkable time. Yeah, for me, it's that's above what I could have hoped for, to be honest. So, you know, I, I'm actually kind of floored that that's how it, it turned out. Um, the coolest part for me was I did the first half in 149.06 and the second half in 150.39. Wow. That's a great split. That's a great split. Wow. To not have that much of a fall off in the second half, I mean that that was a pleasant surprise you know you don't know how it's going to go and and sure i'll be honest too like the time wasn't really the point of this thing obviously but when it got to this morning and even last night i didn't have a very good sleep uh and when i got out there this morning i started getting nervous cuz i was like wow this is pretty public like if i have a bad <laughs> go of it here if i've got if i've got to walk it in for the last 8k or you know like i started having the the what happens if the worst happens thoughts and i was nervous like i mm-hmm. I wasn't nervous two weeks ago or even last week. I was just excited, but today I was nervous. And so I'm just uh, thankful that uh, it was a good day for me and I got through it. So now we just wait for the drug test results to come in after <laughs> posting up that split of 149 and 150. Is that where we're waiting? Looks a little cloudy here, Mr. Johnston. I'm not sure what uh, what this is going to read at the end. The only thing cloudy is the IPA that's in front of me right now. So, <laughs> Well, I was going to ask you, how how you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling good. We're about four to five hours since I finished and I didn't do anything this afternoon and I just literally just opened my first beer. So um, I'm feeling a little sore, but but, but very satisfied. Well, you know, I got to say it was an awesome performance. Now the 2024 Summer Olympics begin July 26th, 2024 in Paris. What color Mm. medal in the marathon should we start penciling you in for? Okay, now you're being ridiculous. Like you guys have a podcast talking about actual athletes. I'm I'm middle aged Joe Schmo here. I mean, this obviously is a nice achievement for me, but man, who knows? I don't even know if I'll. I mean, I'm, I hope I'll run another marathon, but I, I'm not sure. You know, that's what's going to ask you actually tomorrow morning. You have have run for 365 days in a row. Friday morning, will you get up and run? For sure, there's no doubt in my mind. You know, I don't know how long I'm going to keep the streak going, but I'm in no rush to get rid of it. It's brought so much structure to my life, so many positive 
things. It's helped me build a lot of positive momentum, confidence, been good for my health. I'm, I'm not going to let it go easily. It was, it took a lot of work and, and honestly, it was way more work at the start just to, you know, the first 50 days were probably harder than the next 300 and whatever we're at, but I'm not going to let it go easily. And, and I'm not saying for anyone out there that they necessarily have to run every day. I realize that's a bit extreme for some people, but for me, that consistency is really, been a positive for me. And so it'll be a very short, very slow, very relaxing run on Friday, but I'm, I'm definitely doing day 366 and beyond. With you, when you ran, I know your dad was there. Your dad, Ian, was there this morning. Mm-hmm. And Krista, your wife, was there to run with you at the beginning, and she was on a bike for the later parts. Now, no married person does this alone. So tell us about Krista over the last year and all the help she gave you uh, today. It was huge. You know, everyone who came out, even you, Elliot. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean that. That's not actually a shot. This isn't the time <laughs> I'm being serious. But, it, you know, it meant a lot to me that a few people, uh, you know, took the time out of their day to come down and support me and help me. And, you know, in this case, my wife, Krista, she she ran the first, you know, four or five kilometers with me. Um, and then basically peeled back and went to our apartment and got changed and got on her bike. And she spent the rest of the, you know, caught up with me around the halfway point and did the, the back half on the bike, you know, carrying some water and some Gatorade for me that, that I drank along the way. You know, I had a friend, Lee Hewitt, uh, who's actually a really old friend who's a very accomplished runner, much more accomplished than me. And he met me for about 10 K, uh, in, in the early part of the run you know, what's really cool too, uh, you know, a fellow a local guy here in Toronto named George, uh, who actually heard me on with, with Merrick on Hockey Central eight weeks ago or so talking about this. And he's a local running coach and he just reached out and said he'd like to offer some help. And, you know, he helped me with some of my, my training and ramping up to be ready for the marathon, just some suggestions here and there. He actually was the one who designed the course I ran in terms of mapping out the 42.2 kilometers I did. And then he ran the last 20K with me today, which was pretty awesome. I mean, I never met him in person until today and he, he risked going out there for when I had to meet the dark side of myself. So, you know, it, it, it didn't, it didn't end up being that bad, but you know, that that's a bit of a risky proposition with someone you don't know, you know, tackling, you know, kilometers 22 through 42 of, of a marathon. So that, and and my dad coming out, my dad's always big time in my corner, Elliot, you know, Kathy Broderick, Brian Spear, and then Suleiman Ahmed from the, the Conquer COVID-19 charity. I mean, it was pretty cool to have all those people, uh, out there for me. And honestly, you know, this, this is kind of what I've taken out of this whole thing. Even when I'm saying I was nervous, you know, I needed all that in a way to push myself too. You know, yep. there's no chance in, in the world if I didn't say any of this out loud, if I didn't know it was going to be on Twitter, if, if, if I didn't have people coming out the way you guys did, if I just ran 42 kilometers totally on my own, it would not have gone as well as it did. So this really was a blessing for me too, to, to give myself a chance to push to see how far I could go. And, and honestly, I, I never would have guessed that time. I mean, that's that's far and above um, what I could have hoped for. And I just feel incredibly lucky, honestly. And listen, CJ, we're all incredibly proud of you. Great job. And you could see the reaction on Twitter today. There were a lot of people 100%. pulling for you. A lot of people. A lot of people. Yes, absolutely. And if I missed anyone's message, I'm sorry. I tried to respond to everyone I could, but it, it was a bit overwhelming. <laughs> enjoy your beer, CJ. It's uh, it's well-deserved. And, and enjoy a, a nice leisurely run, nice flat run tomorrow, right? Nice, easy run tomorrow. And this does not give you an excuse to be lousy on headlines this week. Like, you better bring some good stuff, man. 
I'm going to be playing guilty tomorrow because I did no work on Thursday. I let the record show. I didn't phone anybody. I, I've got no. I've got no ins right now. So Elliot, I'll, I'll be working hard tomorrow to make sure Saturday goes okay. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and I should say too, and this, this is very serious. So when I did your guys' Christmas show or, or holiday show, I think it might have been the first time I talked about my run streak publicly. You guys asked me about it, mm-hmm. and that helped me along basically the journey or the to get used to the fact that maybe if I talked about this out loud, that it, it could be a good thing. And and you know, I have to thank you for that because it's a little beyond my comfort zone to be discussing all this stuff. But, but I do know that the Conquer Cove 19 charity was really pleased with the amount of donations they got. You know, obviously I'm pretty humbled with the support I got and, you know, just a good reminder. I mean, I, I, some, in some ways it's easier to keep things, certain things to yourself, but sometimes people want to share in your joy. And so this has been a learning experience for me too. And you guys helped to help me get there. Cheering you on all the way. You deserve the support, bud. All right. We'll see you Saturday, Elliot. All right. Take care, my man. Well done, buddy. Now that Chris is gone, I feel it's my responsibility to point out I have a 30-minute low-impact ride scheduled for tonight on the Peloton. So <laughs> that's when everyone's really going to see an athlete out there. <laughs> Just a beast on the Peloton. Now, do you oh. lift when you're on the Peloton? you lift weights, too, when you're on the Peloton? Sometimes, yeah. Do you do some of those? Yeah, I do some of the arms, and I do some of the boot camp, too. Yep. Yeah, I do. That's awesome. Day, she just kicks my butt. The secret of life, keep moving. Um, okay, the NHL keep moving uh, on to a new secondary television deal. What did you make of the uh, the TNT offering? You know, CJ actually had uh, the scoop that it was getting close on Saturday night, and uh, it was a bit of a swerve. Uh, he'd heard Fox and Apple, and I, and I do believe those discussions were going on. But I think the Turner thing happened really late. Jeff Zucker... Uh, who runs Warner New, uh, Media News and Sports, kind of say heat up in the last couple of weeks. I, I think it was, it really was late. He said they'd always been interested, but they heated up in the past couple of weeks. And I heard there was a lot done last week. You know, they basically called the board. Normally, there's, everybody knows when a board of governors meeting is going to be. On Monday morning, they let everybody know that there was going to be a board of governors meeting that day. And that's also when NBC began letting its staff know that it was out. You know, we've talked about this before, Jeff. I know what it's like to be on both sides of this yep. argument. I've been on the side that's won. I've I've been on the side that's lost. And I, I don't see any value in kicking NBC while they're down. We've talked a lot about ESPN and what it means. I think a lot of people are very curious to see what TNT is going to be like. Because TNT has the top studio show in sports and maybe ever in Inside the NBA they're given a wide latitude. They can basically say whatever they want. Um, the NBA doesn't interfere with them. They let them go. Uh, they have big, big cachet. And I think that'll be interesting to see what that's going to mean. And Jeff Zucker did say, like, we have an approach that we use for the NBA, and we want that for the NHL. And as a viewer and as a consumer, I think that's a very good thing. And uh, I think we're all very curious to see how all the chips are going to end up here. Who's going to be where and what it's all going to look like. I, I'm with you. And I'm, I'm really curious, too, how comfortable the end. Because it's, it's obvious the NBA is quite comfortable completely surrendering their product to TNT. And listen, they get a great return on it. It's, it's wonderful for that league. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how the NHL feels about it. Like when the, when the NHL has done it, like I, I think of that original um, HBO 24-7 series, The Caps and the Penguins, which was so revolutionary. And I know that it made some people uncomfortable. 
just how deep they were able to go in and show you know what is ha- what is happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious to see how how comfortable the NHL is. I hope they are. I hope they just say, look, you know what? Here's the keys. You drive for a while. Let us know what you come up with because I'm with you. I'm I'm real curious to see what this uh, what this ends up being. Because you know the the other interesting thing too about if you look at ESPN's approach and you look at TNT's approach. ESPN, they like breaking news. It's very important to them, and they've already talked about it. Mark Gross, who runs uh, the NHL and ESPN, he's already said that they're that's going to be a big part of what they do, right? Yeah. TNT doesn't have that for inside the NBA. They're the news. What they say is the news, and they talk about the news, but they're not as worried about uh, breaking trades and things like that. Their approach is different. And I like that in the sense that I think there's room for different approaches. Like when I was younger, Jeff, I always just say, no, journalism is done this way. This is the way you do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then as you get older, you realize, no, 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 just because I like it this way doesn't mean that he or she likes it this way or that person likes it this way. You know, there is room for different approaches. And I also got to think that our deal right now, the Sportsnet deal with the NHL, will be the last one that's one network. I agree with that. I think the next Canadian deal is going to be multiple. Elliot, something I want to do on the podcast this week, and I and I, I know that you do as well, is uh, is have a quick talk on the Jonathan Duran situation with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, we talked on the podcast last week uh, about the nature of what we're all going through right now and the ability that we all need to find in ourselves uh, to cut everybody a lot of slack and go out of our way to try to find understanding uh, as much as we can. What are your thoughts on the Montreal Canadiens and specifically Jonathan Drouin right now? I want to be careful with this. You know, the Canadians ask for privacy. We don't have a full picture. So that's one of the um, issues there. You want to be careful and not jump into it without knowing 100% what you're dealing with. You know, Philip Deneau basically talked about the challenges of being a French player in Montreal. And this is an issue that the Canadians do deal with. You know, Toronto has talked about it a lot. In an intense market, how do you make your players feel comfortable? I think Winnipeg is a team that generally doesn't get enough credit for how many of their players have stayed when they've had opportunities to leave because Winnipeg tries to create that environment. I think it's a big challenge in today's social media era in intense markets where the rewards are high, but also the challenges are high to create that quote unquote safe space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Montreal I think Montreal is the unique market. I think it's the toughest market. There, a lot of the media are as big stars as the players are in the province. And as a result, you've got these big personalities with big opinions, and they drive a lot of the public sentiment. You know, in English Canada, I think the only guy who really had that in a lot of ways was Don. Mm -hmm. Don could really set the agenda in a lot of ways. In Quebec, I think there's a lot of media, both English and French, who can drive the bus like Don did in English Canada. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that creates a lot of pressure. You know, Drew was having a tough year. He had, he had two goals in, in 44 games. And I don't think it was because he wasn't trying. I think he really did try to compete. 
I think the results weren't happening, but you know, I think he's a guy who lives and breathes hockey. I've heard he watches a lot of games, even when he's not playing. I heard it's not unusual for him to send a note to players on other teams. He knows saying I was watching your game tonight and you know, I want to send you a note. I thought you played really great. And I know it was appreciated. And I just wonder if he couldn't get away from it at all. Hmm. I think it's hard. I do. I, I think it's really hard. And I think this, the stresses are a real challenge for French Canadian players in Quebec. And I just think he needed some time. And I hope he gets it. And I, I hope he gets himself into a good mental place. I don't know what's happening, Elliot, with Jonathan Drouin. And it's not my business. Mm-hmm. To know what's happening with Jonathan Drouin, I just know that if Jonathan Drouin is not healthy, I hope that he gets healthy soon. That's very well said. I think a lot of us feel that way. Wanted to get your thoughts here because I want to get a couple of hashtag Ask31s. You wrote about this on 31 Thoughts, the blog. Uh, a tweet you got from Dominic Tiano. Yeah, he's a big Bruins fan. Bro, Brant Clark. Now, I'll read the tweet for those that haven't seen it. Here's my question. For OHL players playing in Europe, now he phrases it OHL because the OHL had no games this season, and some players went overseas. For OHL players playing in Europe, such as Brant Clark, Brant Clark plays the Barry Colts, for those who don't know, he's a, one of the top-rated defensemen in this year's draft. Will he be immediately eligible for the AHL since he was drafted from Europe, maybe Frege knows the answer. So he went over and played in Slovakia, even though his junior rights are held by the Barry Colts. So who is he drafted from becomes the question, because if he's technically drafted from a European team, he can go to the American League. But due to the NHL-CHL agreement, if he's drafted from the OHL as a 19-year-old, he can't play in the American Hockey League. So how does this going to work? So I did ask somebody about this, and uh, the response was that there are still some things that have to be worked out. And after I wrote that, I got a uh, note from uh, a really good team uh, AGM, a guy who's really on top of things. And he sent me a note from the Memorandum of Understanding uh, before this season between the uh, league and the players. Mm-hmm. And there's an item in there called Article 8. And it says, for the purposes of determining where a player who was drafted in the 2021 NHL draft was drafted from, basically, if a player played during this season, the league and team for which he played during this season will be as traditional. However... If a player played in a league outside of North America during this year, but had never played in a league outside of North America prior to this year, the league and the team for which you played during 2019-20 is what will count. So a player like Brant Clark, who played in Slovakia this year, mm-hmm. but it's his first time out of North America, and last year he played in Barry, it reverts to Barry. Now, I don't want anybody saying, well, this person you first asked doesn't know what they're doing. I think that this year has been so crazy busy that it probably just wasn't on the front of their plate. But I appreciate that clarification. That is a great question, too. And I I do wonder, you and I have talked about this before. I do wonder about the nature of the future of the CHL-NHL agreement, given how many 
players, because their league was inactive, their junior league was inactive this year, played in the American League. And most recently, we just saw Quentin Byfield debut for the Los Angeles Kings after playing with the Ontario Reign. I wonder what the future of that agreement is. And will they start to allow younger players in the American League because of a new arrangement? Teams have talked about it before. So I was told this a couple of years ago, there was a straw poll done on it. And the straw poll was overwhelmingly, let's rip up this agreement and let the top players play in the AHL after a certain point. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was about a year ago, they actually voted on it. And some of those votes changed. That when it actually came time to do it, there were some people, and particularly people who had long history with the CHL, right. and because this the OHL in particular is, and is still the largest feeder, I think there was something to the thought of, we could really destroy this league, and is it good for us? So they kind of held back. This year, though, Jeff, you know, as you said, the fact that they've got a chance to see these guys play in the American Hockey League I think the most likely situation is the deal gets extended for a year, but it's a bit tenuous. It's a conversation for sure. Uh, we're going to step away. We're going to come back. You'll hear from Roman Yossi of the Nashville Predators. Finish up with some hashtag Ask31. So we'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Cole the Armstrong. Just want to say congratulations on your 200th episode um, of 31 Thoughts. I've loved being a guest on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> always interesting and obviously very popular. So congrats on all the success and the run that you're on. Uh, you know, Jeff, with your nerdy hockey takes and ideas and, uh, well, Elliot with his nerdy ideas as well. Congrats, nerds. Hey, this is Kathy Broderick. I'm a friend of Almost, and I want to say congratulations to all of you on your milestone of 200 episodes of 31 Thoughts Podcast. Almost, I know all too well what it's like working with Jeff and Elliot, so congratulations on making it through 200 episodes, and here's to 200 more. Cheers, my friend. I can't believe you guys have had 200 episodes of nonsense that people actually listen to. <laughs> and I've contributed to the nonsense a few times. Boggles my mind. Anyways, I was told to make a 30-second video. I don't have 30 seconds of nice things to say to you two, so I'm done about now. But love you guys. Congrats. Vajiva, 31 thoughts, 200 episodes. What a feat. What a milestone for you guys. Congrats, Elliot and Jeff. I was just thinking about, you know, 
hockey coverage during the pandemic. It's been great to have 31 Thoughts to listen to, informative and entertaining as always, but also entertaining, uh, Elliot, to watch you grow out your beard during the initial part of the hockey coverage in the in the pandemic last year, and that was great to see. But I think if we're, you know, talking about Sportsnet awards in terms of the best beard on Sportsnet, I would still take the cake on that. So you, you gave it your best shot, and, and that was great to see. Uh, but let's uh, let's get Jeff on this here. Playoffs are around the corner. Jeff, uh, let's bring out that playoff beard. Let's see what you got. Anyways, guys, just driving up here the on the QE2 to Edmonton from Calgary for another Battle of Alberta. Uh, but congratulations again on the 200th episode of 31 Thoughts! <laughs> Elliot, it's always a good time when a Norris Trophy winner joins us here on the podcast. He is Roman Yossi of the Nashville Predators. He joins us on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Roman, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? Of course, I'm good. Good. How are you? We're doing well. You know, it's been, you know, going into this year, we knew it was going to be a challenging season for everyone. And I don't need to tell an NHL player that, but it almost feels like it's been two, maybe three different seasons altogether for the Nashville Predators. Can you describe this season uh, for us that are, you know, aren't involved in it, but are watching from afar? Yeah, it kind of has been two different seasons for us. I think um, obviously in the start, start of the year we we didn't play well uh we didn't get off to a good start couldn't really find our consistency and then we went on this long road trip um had a lot of injuries and yeah we found a way to get some wins on the on a tough road trip and uh, it kind of turned our season around and um uh, started to play a lot better after that what was it like roman the uh the few weeks leading up until trade deadline because everybody and listen we talked about it plenty here on this podcast as well Everybody had the Nashville Predators blowing up the team, bodies going out the door. What was it like on the squad when all of that conversation was happening? We didn't talk about it too much, to be honest. I mean, uh, obviously, you see some of the articles that are out, some of the rumors. And um, at the time, we, we weren't playing well. So I think it's not always easy for players if you if you see rumors about yourself. But um, it wasn't much of a of a topic in the team. And then I think... It was like a month or two weeks before we started turning it around and um, we started playing a lot better. And you could tell there was this belief in our team that we can make it to the playoffs. We have a chance to make it to the playoffs. And uh, like I said before the trade deadline, I really like our team. I like like our like our group and uh, there's a lot of belief in the room. So we, we were definitely happy that uh, it didn't go that route. As captain, do you ever go to talk to David Poyle and say, David, I'd like to know what's going on or some of our players would like to know what's going on. Not much, honestly. I think David has been in the business for so long. He, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's really good at his job. And I, I know he's, um, he does everything he can to, to be successful as an organization. And um, I think uh, especially throughout the season, I think as a player, even as a captain, you, you try and you're trying to focus on, on your game you're trying to focus on the team game and that's that's really the main focus so there's there's not not a lot of talk uh, about that stuff i want to talk about you and your history with nashville here a little bit when ryan Suter left to go to minnesota almost immediately 
you end up playing with Shea Weber. And then Shea Weber gets moved and P.K. Subban comes in and everyone thinks, oh, it's going to be Yossi and Subban. And you end up playing with Ryan Ellis. Can you describe in, in, in your words what your experience has been like? And, and through all of this, you become this Norris Trophy defenseman, like one of the marquee defensemen in the world. Describe your experience with Nashville and, and the roles that you've played on the blue line so far. Just looking back, like one thing, obviously Nashville always had some really good defensemen. And when I got drafted, um, it was pretty exciting because they did have Shea Weber, uh, Ryan Suter, and all those guys. And then Ryan Ellis got drafted, Ekholm got drafted, uh, Seth Jones. Um, there's so many good defensemen that played here. And um, I think uh, my first year, you kind of come up and um, you play behind guys like Shea Weber, or Ryan Suter, and it's just an unbelievable learning experience for a young kid. And then Suits left and I got uh, a chance to play at Webbs my, my second year. And obviously that was, for me, that was huge. Playing with a guy like him, playing more minutes, uh, that was huge for me. And there's so many things I learned from that. And um, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. There's, I think, like I said before, guys like Ellis, Ekholm, we all went to development camps together uh, 10, 11 years mm -hmm. ago. And now we're all still playing together here. So it's it's pretty cool. Of all the people, when you look back at all those guys you started in development camp with, and when you look back at like what Ekholm was like back then, what you were like back then, what Ellis was like back then, who was the funniest one to look back and think, this is what you used to be like? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. I feel like we haven't changed much. It's <laughs> like we're still pretty much the same, the same person. But um, I think just like with Ekholm, we both came over from Europe. I think he was he was drafted fourth round and I was drafted second round. And I think just coming over from Europe, you never really know what to expect, uh, like how guys can adjust to the to North American game. And, and for us, it was definitely definitely a, a learning curve. I mean, coming over, playing in Milwaukee and stuff. So I think me and him definitely had to had to learn a lot of, a lot of things. And uh, I think that's why it was so good for us to go to Milwaukee and and learn some more about the North American game and, and, and develop there. You know, people will always focus on uh, defensemen playing with their, their partners. And in your case, and you mentioned Shea Weber and, and Ryan Ellis, Matthias Ekholm, et cetera. I'm always curious about a defenseman's relationship with his goaltender. And in Nashville, you have two very distinct goaltenders. Uh, one is 5'11", and one is 6'5". How are they different to play in front of and how are they similar to play in front of? Well, I think their playing style is a, is a little different. They're both unbelievable goalies, obviously. But um, I played most of my career, I played in front of Pex and Pex has been, mm -hmm. I mean, he's been unbelievable for this organization. I mean, there's so many years in my career where he won countless games for us and I think we're always a team that, that made it to the playoffs. Just, uh, he was one of the biggest reasons because he, he, he's been playing so well and the way he moves the puck, I think especially as a defenseman, it's really easy to play in front of a goalie like like Pex who moves the puck so well. It's like a third defenseman out there breaking out for you. And um, yeah, he's he's been unbelievable and obviously choose the, the last, I mean, the last couple of months, he's kind of been doing what we all knew he was going to do. Um, I think if mm -hmm. you watch him in practice, and um, we see him every day. He's he's unbelievable. I think he's he's so quick. It seems like he's never out of position, and he's always in the right spot. And um, he's been unbelievable for us, and he's a big reason we're still in the playoff push. He 
has made it very clear that he wants to retire as a predator. I know it's a tough thing to talk about in the middle of a playoff race, but do you guys ever talk about what could be your last few games together? We don't much, but like um, obviously I heard his comments too. And obviously like I think Pex is, <laughs> Pex is that guy like that everyone loves in the room. He's, uh, he's the most respected guy in our room and he's one of the nicest people. So mm-hmm. everybody wants him to do well. And like, and especially in our team, like we want him to do well. And obviously he's, he's had such a big impact in, in Nashville. And um, I mean, obviously everybody in Nashville would love to see him retire as a predator, but yeah, I hope he's got, got some years left in him. Uh, I know he does. He's been, he's playing, he's still playing unbelievable. So uh, we don't talk about it much, but um yeah, it's. I mean, a guy like him who has such a big impact, it's uh, hopefully can play a couple more years. You know, I can remember talking to uh, to Nico Hischer in his draft year at the Combine, and we talked about specializing in hockey. And he said, listen, uh, I, I never specialized in hockey until I was, you know, well into my teens, uh, played a lot of tennis, ski, like it was a lot of, of multi-sport and a lot of a lot of Swiss athletes um, that I've spoken to, hockey players specifically, tell me the same thing. You know, we didn't we didn't focus on just one sport until much later into our teens. What were sports like when you were young? Was it always hockey, or was it a was it a mix of a number of sports? I played soccer till I was ten years old. Those were the two sports, hockey and soccer, that I played in a, on a team. So mm-hmm. I would sometimes go to hockey practice and to soccer practice, and then. Maybe Saturday I would have a soccer game and Sunday I would have a hockey game. And I did that till I was 10. And um, and then it just got too much with uh, with everything and I, I quit soccer. But um, I definitely grew up playing playing a lot of different sports, but those two were, were definitely my main sports. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about yourself here and because I know you're really big into taking proper care of yourself. Meditation, the way you eat, I'm just curious, Roman, like just what are your rules for taking care of yourself? Like what are the things that are absolute total rules when you say this is how I take care of my body and this is what I eat? I think the the older you get, the more you play in league. I think uh, just taking care of your body like treatment wise and I actually got into meditation a couple of years ago, like two or three years ago. And I feel like it really helps me balance, um, keeps me keeps me more calm and I think uh, especially like in seasons like this where you, where you play every other day and there's a in hockey there's always a, a lot of highs and lows and um, just to find and keep that balance uh, I think it really really helped me but um, nutrition wise I, I, I do try to take care of myself and I try to eat healthy but um, I think sometimes it's also important to to eat whatever you feel like once in a while but um I think, yeah, the older you get, the longer you play in league, you, you see how important it is to get treatment, to to take care of your body and just the, the recovery part. Now, I'm a meditation guy too. I used to do 10 minutes a day. I've kind of decreased it a bit to five minutes a day, but I always do find five to 10 minutes a day where I just stop and listen to like, whether it's the Calm app or the Headspace app, I find five to 10 minutes where I just put my phone away, don't look at it, and just listen. What do you do? Yeah, I actually started with the Headspace app too. And um, mm. I started doing 10 minutes, tried to do 10 minutes a day. And then um, once uh, the pandemic started, I actually, like you had a lot more time, you were home all the time. I actually 
uh, meditate a lot more. I, I probably did like 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night. Wow. Which is a lot. And obviously you can't really, like now during the season, we just had a son too. So yeah, um, it's a little harder right now. But I, I try to get in, like you said, like even if you just do five or 10 minutes, I think I think it helps. And just to sit down and just, uh, like you said, the Calm app, where you just sit there and, and do nothing for 10 minutes. And, and yeah, it doesn't matter how long it is. I, I feel like it always, always helps me. You've had some different coaches in your time in Nashville. Mind you, it's, you know, it's Barry Trotz, Peter Laviolette, and now, and now John Hines. Who was the one coach that was able to unlock the best Roman Yossi or was able to, to help you take your game to the next level? Who did it for you? Well, I think I had them in like different stages. I think um, uh, Trotzi, that was my, my first two or three years in the league. And um, he he was an unbelievable coach. I mean, he's one of the nicest guys out there, and he was he was a great coach. And he was he was great for me uh, coming into the league. Um, I felt like he gave me a lot of confidence right away. I mean, we talked about it. I got to play with Shea right away in, in my second year, and mm-hmm. uh, and he gave me a lot of a lot of confidence in that way. And I think Lavi came in and um, in my fourth or fifth year in the league, and I I think that's. Uh, when I took personally took another step and Labby was really all about defensemen uh, jumping up in the play, being involved in the offense. And he kind of let us play and he wanted us to be active, which, which obviously helped my game. And I think he, he, um, yeah, he, he definitely helped me a lot, but, um, uh, and now Heinz is a, is a different coach again. Like he, there's so many things you learn from different coaches. Uh, Heinz is very detailed and, um, yeah, there's so many things, I can still work on and I think every coach you have uh he brings something and and he helps you uh be more a more complete player and they they've all been great so it's been it's been a lot of fun here what, what one of the reasons I asked that is because I remember talking to someone who used to play on the Preds and was there during the transition from Trotz to Laviolette and he said it was really hard on the goaltenders and I said what do you mean he said well it was hard on Pekka Rene specifically because you know, Pekka Rene was a goaltender, liked to feel the puck a lot, you know, give me 15 shots a period. That's great. I can warm up, get used to touching the puck. And then LaViolette came in and it was, okay, we're not letting win, you know, no more than five shots a period. Like that's, that, that's our, that's our goal. And it was really hard. He said for Pekka Rene, who was used to, you know, getting a lot of action and getting into the game that way. I'm curious when the transition from Barry Trotz to Peter LaViolette happened what was that like for you we know what it was like for the goaltenders what was it like for the defense well i think uh as a team with with lavi we played uh we played really really aggressive i think there's a lot of a lot of pinching a lot of um we played with a lot of speed a lot of like hard forechecking and stuff so and for me personally i think as a player i got older more experienced and uh i think as a team and you always when you come into the league, you're kind of trying to find find your game a little bit mm-hmm. and and try to to see what makes you successful and and I think under Lavi, um, I just kind of grew more, got more experienced and and kind of knew what my game was and he gave me gave me a lot of freedom to do that and I think he gave all our defensemen a lot of freedom. Like I said, he wanted us to be involved in the play, to jump up and yeah. And for us, we had a lot of skating defensemen, a lot of guys that wanted wanted to to jump up in the play. And it was, it was, it was definitely perfect for us. Are there any rules that are, that you have now Roman 
Like there are teams that play against you. They basically say he's a rover. He can go wherever he wants. Are there rules that you have to follow? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely rules. Uh, there's, um, <laughs> but I think as a, like my game is to to jump up, to be involved in the ozone, and I and and I definitely get a lot of freedom at that uh, now too. Like you, I think it's always up to the player to to see what's possible and what's not. Obviously, as a defenseman, that you gotta you gotta play well defensively. But yeah, Heinze wants us to be active in the ozone. He wants us to jump up and. Um, yeah, he, he definitely allows me to do that. And I think then it's up to the player to to know what's too risky and what's not. And um but I think it's it's a huge part of the of the game now. I think every team every team does it. It's really hard on defense to to control the, the ozone if, if the demon is, is going down or is cycling down and um it's definitely a huge part of our game too. I was wondering on that, like last year of course you won the Norris trophy, uh very deserving winner. But there are others who felt that you've been even better this year, helping pull the Predators back from being in big trouble. Would you say that's a fair comment or would you disagree? I, I think it's tough to compare. I think I, I wasn't happy with the way I started the season this year. And um, mm-hmm. and I think uh, after my injury, I feel like I've been playing playing a lot better. And I think it... Obviously, we've been playing a lot better as a team, which helps. But um, I didn't like the way I start. But it's I think it's hard to compare seasons. I think when you look back at a season like last year, where I won the Norris, you kind of look back because you won Norris, you think everything, everything was great. But which wasn't the case, obviously. There was a lot of up and downs. And it's the same thing this year. And I, I think it's the same thing every year. And that's why it's always hard to compare. But I think, um, like I said, I wasn't happy with the way I started the season. But... I think I've been playing better since since I came back from the injury. Um, Roman, last one for me. Um, for the longest time, you know, maybe right up until when you won the Norris Trophy, whenever people talked about underrated defensemen, your name always came up. Oh, you got to see Yossi in Nashville. Oh, don't sleep on Yossi. This guy's fantastic. Who do you consider? Uh, maybe he's a teammate. Maybe he's someone you play against. Who do you consider an underrated defenseman in the NHL? I think... Uh, you know who's I think is an unbelievable defenseman is uh, Theodore in Vegas, hmm. and I think he's more well known too now because he's having he's had really good playoffs and he's having a good year this year. But um, even before that, I always thought he was an unbelievable skater, um, great hockey sense, um, great puck mover, and um, I think he's more known now. But I think he's a he's a really good defenseman. I think he's still he's still a little bit underrated. I have just a couple more for you, Roman. First of all, congratulations. You had uh, you and your wife, Ellie, had a baby boy who you mentioned. When your son gets older, will you be the strict parent or the parent who lets him do whatever he wants? Probably more the parent who lets him do whatever he wants. I know. No, I'm, I'm not too good at being strict, but um, I'm going to have to find a, a little bit of a balance. But yeah, I definitely... Want to be a fun parent. Okay, no problem. I was told it would be, I would not be doing a proper service if I didn't ask you about your dogs, that you're a a big (laughs) dog guy. You have two of them. Yeah. And tell us about your two dogs. Yeah, I got a Rhodesian Ridgeback. He's he's pretty big. He's like 105 pounds. And then we have a German Shepherd. Yeah. And 
we got the Rhodesian Ridgeback first, and then we got the German Shepherd. But they're about the the same age, and um, obviously they got a ton of energy. Our German Shepherd barks all the time. I think that's what <laughs> what they do, kind of the German Shepherds. But <laughs> but yeah, they're a lot of fun. Uh, they've been great with uh, with Luca so far. So it's been it's been a lot of fun just uh, growing our family. Are you the one, the parent? No matter what time it is, you get home late from a game. It's your job to walk the dogs. Yeah, especially now. I think my wife is so busy with the with the little guy. Yep. So I I try to give the dogs some more attention. Uh, I go out play with them in the yard, uh, and um, yeah, right now it's definitely definitely my job. As I've gotten older, I've tried to get more into fashion. Do you still dress up for games, even though this year? Nobody's dressing up that much for games. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I feel like it's a little different this year. Yes. And it's so many games too. So you're wearing a suit every other day. Um, yeah. So honestly, I haven't gotten a new suit in, in a while. So yeah, I feel like it's a little different this year. You always check with someone's agent. Is there a good story that you should know about Roman Yossi, about a client? And... I'm doing this, although I know I'm going to regret it. Judd Moldaver, what was your first impression of him playing ping pong? <laughs> playing ping pong? Yes. Well, it was at, our, at my house, right? And he was already talking before, like, how good he is at ping pong and stuff. So I was like, oh, I got a ping pong table. Let's play. So he shows up at the house. He's wearing all Nike. He's wearing, like, full-on outfit, like a ping pong outfit. And... <laughs> I don't know if he's wearing a headband or not, but he was he was ready to go. And um, <laughs> he actually surprised me. He was pretty good. But I used to play a lot of ping pong, so I beat him. But um, he was pretty good. But now he says he played a lot during the pandemic and he would beat me now. But I doubt it. Mm. We got we to gotta play at some point. <laughs> that it, that sounds exactly Roman, like Judd Moldaver. Yeah. Like as you're described, right, right down to the headband, that is exactly Judd Moldaver. Exactly. Uh, I can just picture it now. Listen, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, best of luck uh, the rest of the way and into the playoffs. Fingers crossed for the Nashville Predators. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, Elliot and Jeff. It's your pal Dallas Green here. Uh, I just wanted hey. to say congratulations on 200 episodes. It's a beautiful accomplishment. And uh, I hope to be able to come back uh, for one of the next 200 and talk about nothing and everything at the same time way to go boys that's awesome hey guys shane Doan here congratulations on 200 it is mind-boggling that you guys have made it this far <laughs> two of the least respected guys probably in the entire league <laughs> in all seriousness congratulations guys so cool so happy for you very well deserved and elliot please stay off horses for your sake and the horse's sake thanks guys that's pretty funny Hello, boys. It's uh, Adam Copeland, a.k.a. Hey. Edge, a.k.a. Oh, wow. The Raider, our superstar. And I want to congratulate you guys on making 200 podcasts. I mean, considering the talent involved, I'm surprised <laughs> you made two, let alone 200. But here we are. Although your competition is Steve Dangle, so it's not really saying much, right? <laughs> anyway, congratulations on 200, and here's to 200 more, in the midst of which I will be a guest once again so we can talk about old arenas and mildewy jock straps. All right, guys, have a good one. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I saw my old friends out on the weekend. 
Before our interview with Roman Yossi, you heard The American Standard by Nile from their sophomore record. Now you're hearing different people from the 2018 EP. Okay, Elliot, a couple of uh, a couple of Ask 31s to wrap things up. And by the way, thanks to Roman Yossi for stopping by and Kevin Wilson of the Preds for making that happen. This comes to us from NHL Wookie. Ask 31, what's a Sam Bennett deal look like now? He's been great for the Cats, Elliot, as you well know. I mean, obviously, this was a player who needed a fresh start, and he has looked great there. Um, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago that Florida's had a couple of bets this year that have really paid off. Carter Verhage before he got hurt, Anthony Duclair fitting in really well there. Kenzie Weger continues to be a much improved player. Sam Bennett is a career average 10% shooter. Mm-hmm. And he was at six in Calgary this year, which was his career worst. And he's at 17 since he got to Florida. So. I don't think this is necessarily going to continue. This is a great run, but there's no doubt that he needed a change of scenery and both him and the team needed a fresh start. I still think Calgary got good return for him considering what was kind of going on, but now all of a sudden you're looking at him in Florida and you're saying, wait a second, Mm -hmm. is this going to give him a nice little career arc, uh, just the chance to go somewhere else? Great question. Uh, This comes to us from Trevor Greaves. I think it's always important to do these every now and then just so people have an understanding on how this works. Um, When a coach or general manager gets fired uh, before their contract obligations are fulfilled, do they always get paid their full contract? What happens when they get another job while still technically under contract? Is it different for coaches versus GMs versus other front office staff? Elliot. Well, unless you're fired for cause or something like that, you get your money, right? You get what's owed to you. So, for example, say Jeff was an NHL coach. I know this is a far-fetched story, Ooh. but let's just go with it. And say uh, he got signed to a team three years, $3 million. So, after year two, he gets fired and he's got another year and $3 million owed to him. They owe him that money. Now, there are certain things that do happen. If Jeff gets a job somewhere else... And for example, say he gets paid a million dollars, that first team still owes him two. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are negotiations about this. Like one thing the league does have is a rule that says, look, let's just say, for example, Almel fires Jeff as his coach. And I'm like, I want to hire him. I know Almel's very mean. He would do that. Ruthless. I can't just say, you know what, Jeff, I'm going to pay you a dollar and almost still going to have to pay you $2,999,999. It doesn't work (laughs) like that. The NHL can be brought in sort of to mediate these things and they can say like this is his market value and what a team has to pay him. Now, I think there's been breaks here and there. 
you know, I, I when John Tortorella went from Vancouver to Columbus, you know, I think that Columbus, because they don't tend to pay as much as a Vancouver did for Tortorella at the time, I think that they were given a bit more of a break and Tortorella got raises with new deals he signed. I think the other thing too is that if you were to, if Jeff was to take the year off and do TV, like any money he gains from doing TV could also come out of what the team owes him. So are there there are those kinds of protections in place. Like one thing that was a little different was when Dave Tippett left Phoenix or Arizona, there was a payout there. He he wanted to leave and yeah. they negotiated a deal where he got a flat fee for and didn't get everything he was owed from the Coyotes because he he wanted to leave too. Didn't the NHL step in when was it Florida tried to sign? Was it Dan Bilesma? Trying to remember who it was, and they thought they could. Th- I don't know about Florida, but I do know in Bilesma's case, after he was out in Buffalo, he obviously went to Detroit to be an assistant under mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Blashill. And there was quite a conversation there between the Sabres and the Red Wings about what Bilesma's value should be. I know that was quite a conversation. You know, I heard a great story not too long ago. And I'm, I won't share the name here, but I'm pretty sure you know who I'm talking about, Elliot. Mm-hmm. There is one ex-general manager who has deliberately stayed, even though I know he's had at least one other offer, not as a GM, but I think as an assistant general manager, but he has deliberately stayed out because because of spite more than anything else. He wants his old team to pay him every single penny that he's deliberately kept himself out of the game. I think you know who I'm talking about. Is it Brian Burke? No, it is not Brian Burke. And I'm not oh. going to tell you who it is, but I think you know who I'm talking about. But I just, when you're, when you're, when we're talking about this, I'm like, oh yeah, that story. Just because he's that vindictive, he wants that team to pay him. I can't wait till the NHL opens up an investigation <laughs> to some former GM who won't take a job because of what you just said on this podcast. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. You know what this is going to be like? This What's is going to be like the hunt for the video game player that you created. Oh my goodness. And no one's got it yet. That was interesting too, man. That one really blew up. That was when I was in Regina at Memorial Cup and I just dropped it on a show and then all of a sudden, yep. boom, my phone just exploded. Everybody was guessing who the video game player oh, was. I know. And I had, and I had one player, <laughs> I don't know if I should say, should say his name, who came out and DM me and said, can you, can you publicly say that it's not me? Cause it's not. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Of course. And so I, oh, did I put out that it wasn't him? I can't even remember now, but there was one player who is a big video game guy and it wasn't him this guy is actually in the nhl on a consistent basis anyway i'm digressing here um stewart submits this one uk listener here would the nhl consider an overseas game in the uk like the nfl nba mlb have done the last one was 2007 that would have been king's ducks I just think that we're not, we've got to wait till this gets back to normal, right? Of course. I assume all of this is going to come back, but I figure we've got to wait till everything's normal again. I got to think yes, though. I would imagine. Okay. First of all, I'm going to get to the hashtag here and you're going to love it. This comes to us from at th3 underscore n3rdsm4. Another bot? With single-game betting now an inevitability across North America, how much change can we expect to the plurality of officiating, 
injury reports, and announcing of starting goaltenders, etc., will the NHL overregulate these for degenerates like myself and Elliot Friedman? Hashtag not a bot farm. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a bot farm. <laughs> what do you think, Fridge? I hope so. You can't be taken seriously if you aren't going to do this. I guess you could always say, well, you can make your bet half an hour before the game, right? Yep. You know, international hockey, you have to declare your lineup an hour before the game. It comes out. But you are entitled to dress extra players there. I do have to think that at some point in time, they're going to have to come up with some kind of standard here. Like to me, this whole thing about goaltenders playing a different style, it's so ridiculous. Goaltenders are blockers now. There aren't too many that are different. I got to think someday this is going to happen. From Alex Yates, has Don Granado done enough to get the Sabres head coaching job? That's a great question. I have asked that and the Sabres... They're being quiet about this. They're better. Teams that have played against them say that they have a lot more structure and they are much more organized out on the ice now. I've got to think it's at least a possibility. I mean, one of the questions is, does Granado want to do it? Mm -hmm. I also do think there's going to be a financial situation here because they're paying Kruger at least for another year not to coach. And not to say that Don Granado's not valuable, but I, I think like, for example, his salary wouldn't be the same as someone like Gerard Glantz. And that's going to be a factor when you're still paying Ralph Kruger for another year at least. But at the very least, what he's done is he's put himself in the conversation. And, you know, I'm just curious here, does Buffalo feel they need to go out and find someone else, someone with a bit more of, I don't know, a cachet or a bit more of NHL experience. I don't know. I mean, if you're keeping a lot of this group together, guys having some success with it, does it not make sense? To me, it does. Absolutely. Uh, we'll finish up on this one from Paul Perry. Will the Senators be able to sign Brady Kachuk to a long-term deal this offseason? I don't even know if he wants to do a long-term well, deal. Well, that's the thing. Like, I would be surprised. It's not an insult to Ottawa. You know, simply, if you take a look at what a lot of players are doing while the cap is flat, you're, we're seeing a lot of people sign, even before the pandemic, like his brother signed a three-year deal, which gives him max leverage at the end of his contract, right? Oh, yeah. He'll be one year to unrestricted free agency. So they're represented by the same agent. You know that they come from a really savvy family. His parents are are very smart when it comes to the business of hockey. Don't you think it would be the same? I totally agree. I think this is gonna. Th this looks like three year deal to me. Yes, and the other thing too is is that if you look at it, you can sign a better deal, long term deal, three years from now than you can now. Ottawa's all of a sudden going to have some really interesting business. You know, Batherson has been really good too. His next contract's going to be interesting. And if Tim Stutzla continues the way he's going right now, you got a bit more time there. You got two more years and you're right. Like, I understand what you're saying, but I do look at it and say, okay, how do you plan your business now? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the top young players, like to me, a guy who might be a little bit different is Quinn Hughes. He doesn't have the same rights that a lot of other players have right now because 
He's what's called a 10-2-C. You can't arbitrate him, can't offer sheet him. So I think that that might be a little different for him. But I think a lot of the other guys, three years is what they're looking at. Like I think Pedersen's going to come in around three years. We went a whole podcast without mentioning Vancouver. That is remarkable, by the way. Yeah, you, got it, you, you, you got it in right at the end. Again, thanks to Roman Yossi for stopping by the podcast today. Thanks again and congratulations to our man Chris Johnston uh, for doing the marathon on Thursday. And thanks to you for listening for the 200th episode of 31 Thoughts, the podcast, and for everybody who chimed in uh, thanking us, some of them tongue-in-cheek, others genuine, uh, all of them heartfelt. We know where you're coming from. So thank you. Taking us out, a great four-piece band you've heard earlier in the podcast from Peterborough, Ontario. Here's Niall with Backburn on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. I've got things to do. I've got things to say. It doesn't matter now, does it anyway? It never mattered anyway. Hey guys, it's uh, Rick Tockett, head coach of the Arizona Coyotes. I've been on your show. Great show, by the way, but I'd like to congratulate you 200 episodes. Incredible. I think it's, uh, you guys are two of the best in the business. Very knowledgeable. Elliot, the only thing I'd like to say is uh, the hair and the the beard's got to go. That's the one thing I'd have to say after they go. The hockey knowledge is great, but the facial hair and the whole makeup stuff, no good. And Jeff <laughs> loves his junior hockey. I think he'd be a hell of a junior coach. I think you got to put your hat in there somewhere. Oh one of the teams there, maybe oh uh, take over for Dale Hunter in London. Maybe oh that, that would be a good transition for you. But once again, boys, uh, great job. 200 episodes, probably many, many more. And uh, I enjoy being on the show and actually listening to your show. Take care, boys. So 200 episodes oh, of 31 geez. turds. Yeah. Who'd have thought? So Elliot Friedman... <laughs> Jeff Merrick, congratulations. I can't believe it. You must have pictures of some producer having sex with a farm animal. This thing never should have seen the light of day. But 200 and counting, good for you guys. Good job, boys. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Elliot. It's Tim McAuliffe of Tim and Friends, formerly of Tim and said, I wanted to come on the show today and congratulate you guys on reaching 200 episodes, but I was told that I'm only allowed on the show when things that I've done for near two decades come to an end. So I I just figured I would uh, send you a voice memo. You know, when I did a podcast like 15 years ago, we didn't really count episodes, but whatever. Hey, congratulations on 200 guys. Real nice. Nice. Real nice. Big shout-outs to Jeff Azaparty for helping me gather all this audio. 